It is the 6th of June. And by the way, I mentioned this to the folks this morning in case you're uh, playing Trivial Pursuit with someone at some point. On June 6th, today's date in 1844, the YMCA was started by an English merchant named George Williams. He founded the Young Men's Christian Association uh, out of his London meetings for prayer and Bible reading. So, All right. I'm sure the oh. village people knew that as well. But anyway, we'll uh oh, brother. <laughs> we'll go Are we that. gonna sing Y M C? No, we're not okay. gonna sing Y. We'll watch you, Lori. We'll watch you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yes. All right. So we uh we actually got into we finished Daniel 10 uh back on the May 23rd and just dipped our toes into Daniel 11. So I'm going to back up a little bit to make sure we get the whole context of Daniel 11. Uh, and uh, so I think that will, um, that will help a little bit. So just to review, to refresh our memories, we look at Daniel 11, verse 2. Now then I will reveal the truth to you. Remember who's talking. It's the messenger, whoever that might be. Remember, it could be some say the pre-incarnate Christ, some say Gabriel. We'll just call him the messenger because we don't know for sure. Now then I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth, far richer than the others. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. So looking at uh, these Persian kings who will reign, uh, who is the fourth? Who is this one that's far richer than the others? who will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. Well, again, to review, we, to put that in context, have to remember who the, or what the six empires in world history are. Remember, uh, one is Egypt. First is Egypt. The second is Assyria. The third is Babylon. The fourth, uh, where what we're dealing with now is Medo-Persia. And then uh, in Daniel, uh, after Daniel, will be Greece and then Rome. So in terms of our study, in terms of Daniel 11, we're in this fourth empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. And so here are the kings that the messenger refers to when he says, Now then I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign succeeded by a fourth. So the first is... Cambyses, C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S, C-A-M-B-Y-S-E-S, Cambyses. He's the son of Cyrus, by the way, and he succeeded Cyrus in, uh, in ruling in 530 BC when King Cyrus was killed in battle, attempting to expand his empire. And Cambyses ruled from 530 to 522 BC. And then comes uh, the guy with a really funny name, Pseudo Smyrtus. Pseudo Smyrtus. Sounds like something from SpongeBob or some. Anyway, Pseudo Smyrtus. He had a short reign for about a year in 522 BC. And then Darius I, Histaspis, Histaspis, Darius I. Not the same as Darius the Mede, remember, who. Uh, was the first ruler of Babylon that was uh, put in place by Cyrus. This is Darius I, Histaspes. 
Uh, he ruled from 522 to 486. And then there's this fourth, who's described by the messenger as being far richer than the others. He would use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. And this very wealthy uh, king, as you recall from last time, is Xerxes. Very well known to us by his other name, Ahasuerus. He's the man who took Esther to be his wife and queen. And uh, Xerxes I, who would become uh, Esther's husband, uh, would wage war against Greece during his reign from about 45 to 465 B.C. All right, now let's pick up verse 3. By the way, uh, I'm trying to think how to best teach this and communicate it to you. Uh, and I thought, you know, let's, it, since we just got done with a sightseeing uh, cruise, and uh, probably a lot of you have been on the Disneyland Jungle Cruise, uh, I'm going to let Scripture be our boat and our navigator. And so we're, we're going to let Scripture take us down this path. And as we're going down the path, I will point out what's on the shore, so to speak. I will point out the interesting things that, uh, so I will amplify the scripture as, as we go along. I think you'll find it interesting and maybe entertaining uh, at, at the same time. So that, that's kind of the approach we're going to take today. All right, uh, verse three, then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority and accomplish everything he sets out to do. But, verse four, <clears throat> at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had, for his empire will be uprooted and given to others. All right, who is this new mighty king that he's talking about? Well, that is referring to Alexander the Great. And let's just review a little bit about Alexander the Great. Remember, we got introduced to him in chapter 8. Remember uh, the passage about the goat that furiously charged at the ram and struck the ram, breaking off both his horns. The ram was then helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him, and no one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. So uh, Daniel's vision here sees Greece defeating the Persians, the goat is Alexander the Great. And remember, this happened very quickly, uh, considering that Alexander the Great took over the known world really at the height of his uh, career, so to speak, from 334 to 331 BC. The language describes this very swift and merciless takeover of the Medo Empire uh, by Alexander the Great. Uh, if you think back to chapter 8 again, verse 5 says, While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that he didn't even touch the ground. Uh, if you recall, there was a Hebrew saying at the time that, about being so swift, so fast, you don't even touch the ground. It's not literal, but it, it's an idiom meaning doing something astonishingly fast. And that's what Alexander the Great did. If you remember, we talked about uh, he was a military genius. 
he invented uh, the wedge. We talked about that. Remember, he'd form this wedge or a V and, and uh, he would have his soldiers head into the sun and they would have their shields, uh, the inside of their shields turned towards the sun. And then at his command, right when they got in the eyesight of the enemy, he had them turn the shiny side of their shields around and it would reflect the sun into the eyes of the opponent, uh, opposing army and stun them uh, for a little bit so that uh, his army could uh, kind of surprise attack them while they're recovering from all this brightness that suddenly uh, struck their eyes. So by age 21, Alexander the Great was known for being a fearsome world leader. By age 32, just shy of his 33rd birthday, as you recall, he self-destructed. Uh, here's Daniel 8 talking about that. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off. Remember what we learned about Alexander the Great. He had no fear, and so he was feared by others. He was vicious, and he was determined to bring the known world under his power and authority. <clears throat> if you recall, he would ask people that he conquered, is there anyone beyond you? And he wanted to know that so he could go conquer them too. So he, he was, he was uh, really addicted to uh, conquering and, and power and extending his, uh, his authority. It was, uh, but he also had another addiction, alcoholism. And just shy of his 33rd birthday, he's sitting drunk on the banks of the Euphrates River in Babylon along with some of his generals. And he kept asking his generals, are there more nations we can conquer in the known world? And his generals would say, no, there's no more. And so with no more nations in the known world to bring under his rule, Alexander went into a deep, uh, we would call it a clinical depression. And then combined with alcohol, uh, he basically self-destructed. So he died a broken man. Uh, on the uh, just shy of his 33rd birthday. How sad that is. I mean, that. Yeah, he, it was it was a pitiful end. To, I mean, he was merciless. I'm not saying that we ought to aggrandize him, but he was a genius and, and he died a pitiful, broken down, uh, yeah. broken down man. And and uh, it's also thought that he had also contracted malaria at the same time as well. So he, he just, he had a horrible, uh, horrible end. Um, all right. So, uh, previous references to him, just so we can keep these triggers in our mind. Remember Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and the vision of the bronze belly and the thighs, uh, of this person in Alex in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That was Alexander the Great. The hmm. winged leopard in chapter 7 is Alexander the Great. And the prominent horn of the goat in chapter 8 that we just re read about in verses 5 through 8, that's Alexander the Great. So we see Alexander the Great revealed in prophecy from the very beginning of, uh, of Daniel's uh, interpretations of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and then of Daniel's dreams himself. Uh, Alexander the Great's uh, conquests were amazing. Asia Minor, Syria, Egypt, 
the Medo-Persian Empire, parts of India, all accomplished before his 33rd birthday. I'm going to put a map up on the screen here. Um, Lee is having trouble getting in. Let me... Uh, I'm going to pause the recording here for a second and, and loop her in. Hang on. I'm going to mute me. All right, the recorder is back on. And okay, we're not going to say anything will... bad. Yeah, we're not going to say anything bad anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put a map up, and I will email this to all of you as well, uh, because it, it shows the, um, the journey of Alexander the Great and how, if you see it there, how he took over the uh, really the known world. He started, if you can see my cursor circling around here in the upper left-hand corner, started out in Macedonia. This is their areas of Greece uh, today in Pella, P-E-L-L-A. And uh, you follow the dotted lines and the arrows on, on this map. And it goes from Greece down into Egypt, uh, comes up through... Um, Israel, uh, Syria, Asia Minor, again, uh, areas of Greece, uh, Armenia, uh, Assyria, Iran, and then some of those names that look really weird on the uh, right hand of that map. Uh, those are areas today that would be in the area of um, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, all those stands. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. the, those, those, are, those would be in, in those areas. So you look at, I mean, pretty much the known world that could be conquered, Alexander conquered. And so it, it's, it's a reminder to the fact that although he was merciless and quite violent in terms of his conquests, uh, also... <clears throat> A, an amazing general, innovative military person, and a great, you know, great accomplishment in, in building his own empire. All right, so I will, um, I will send those maps to you one way or the other, and you can take a look at that. There's another graphic uh, that I'll show you today as well, and I'll include that too. This is a really good one that uh, you might want to hang on to as we move along through uh, Daniel 11, just, uh, just as a reference. Okay. All right. So what happens next? Alexander the Great dies, a broken man. Uh, they tell us on the banks of the Euphrates River. Four of his generals now step in, and, and they uh, take over territories in the known world. Uh, of the Hellenistic or the Grecian Empire. Remember, Alexander the Great is from, from Greece. The empire was div uh, divided into four areas, four divisions, so to speak. Macedonia and Greece were under General uh, Cassander, uh, Asia Minor and Thrace uh, under General Lysimachus, Lysimachus, and this would con also include a name that you probably uh, remember from Revelation, Lydia, L-Y-D-I-A. 
And then uh, Syria and Babylonia were put under General Seleucus. Seleucus. This is, and he begins what is known as the Seleucid Empire, or the Seleucid Empire. It will ultimately be referred to as, he will be referred to as the King of the North, his descendants, the Kings of the North. So the Seleucids, named after General Seleucus, they are the Kings of the North. And then we have the Kings of the South, and that is because General Ptolemy was given Egypt, and that became his territory. Basically, he became the king of the south, General Ptolemy, and his descendants were known as the Ptolemies, and that's P-T, as in Paul Tom, P-T-O-L-E-M-I-E-S, the Ptolemies. <clears throat> again, these are the kings of the south from Egypt. So once again, I'm going to put up a, a graphic for you to look at. And these are the kings that we're going to be talking about in, uh, in Daniel 11. So on the left-hand side are the Ptolemies, beginning with Ptolemy I Soter. Uh, this is the Ptolemy that was a general under Alexander the Great who has Egypt. And he had all of Egypt. His counterpart. And they started out working together. In fact, uh, uh, Seleucus I, Nicator, uh, the first king of the north, one of the generals under Alexander the Great, he also uh, served apparently under Ptolemy. So it be, what, they began to be somewhat united, but wound up, as we'll see later, later on, the, the, the south and the north uh, become bitter enemies at, at some point. Uh, but I, this is important to, to, to keep. And so I will send this to you because as we move through uh, the rest of Daniel 11, you're going to want to go back and, and try to figure out where are we, for goodness sakes? What king are we talking about? And this chart will, uh, will help you out. So I will be uh, sending that to you uh, this week. So conflicts are, are going to arise uh, between the Seleucids, the kings of the north, and the Ptolemies, the kings of the south. And this sets up the history of the conflicts um, that are going to follow. There, there's, there's going to be a back and forth conflict between the north and the south, and quite a few political intrigues that will happen along the way. So uh, here we go. Again, we're on our sightseeing cruise. I'm going to do my best to point out what's important along the shores as, uh, as we go by. All right, verse 5. And remember, it's the messenger now that's talking to Daniel. The king of the south will increase in power, but one of his own officials will become more powerful than he and will rule his kingdom with great strength. All right. So let me put the names in here to fill out the verse and explain it. The king of the south, Ptolemy I Soter, was a general under Alexander the Great. He will increase in power as ruler over Egypt, but one of his own officials, also a general named Seleucus I Nicator, also one of Alexander's generals, will be put in charge of Babylon in 321 BC. 
And about five years into his rule over Babylon in the north, he was attacked by an army led by a man named Antigonus. So uh, our, our, our friend Seleucus the, uh, Seleucus the first Nicator in the north is forced to flee Babylon because of this attack. And he seeks help from Ptolemy the first Soter in, in Egypt in the south. So the, the king of the north, so to speak, goes and seeks help from the king of the south because they used to, uh, they used to work with each other. And so uh, what's happening is that Ptolemy the first Soter in the south did help apparently because Seleucus, the first in the north, is able to defeat this army that's attacking him by this other general named Antigonus. So Seleucus returns to Babylon stronger than he was before. He not only ruled over Babylon, but he added Media and Syria to his kingdom. So Seleucus, the first Nicator of the north, will become more powerful than Ptolemy, the first Soter in the south. And uh, Seleucus, the first, will rule his kingdom with great strength. In fact, he's going to wind up ruling over far more territory than Ptolemy the first will in Egypt. I now get ready for some intrigue. Here we go. Verse six, some years later, an alliance will be formed between the king of the north and the king of the south. The daughter of the king of the south will be given in marriage to the king of the north to secure the alliance but she will lose her influence over him, and so will her father. She will be abandoned along with her supporters. All right, so let me fill this out. Let me give you the story behind the story. King Ptolemy, the first sorter of the south in Egypt, died about 285 BC. His son is called Ptolemy II. That sounds rational, the son of Ptolemy the first is Ptolemy the second. His other name that uh, he is known by is Philadelphus. So his full name is Ptolemy the second Philadelphus. And he takes over as ruler of Egypt after his father, King Ptolemy I, that dies from, and he rules from about 285 to 246 BC. So about three to four years later, after Ptolemy II takes over from his father over Egypt in the south, Seleucus I, the king of the north in Babylon, is assassinated in 281 BC. And his son, Antiochus I Soter, steps into his murdered father's shoes, and he becomes the ruler of the north from 281 to 261, so about uh, 262, about 19 years. And there's another king that scripture leaves out. It's Antiochus I Soter. Uh, we know about him not from scripture, but from extra uh, biblical history. So, after Antiochus I Soter's death, his son Antiochus II Theos takes over. Now Antiochus II is the grandson of Seleucus I Nicator. 
Now you're probably, your eyes are probably starting to roll around in your head and say, how can we keep track of these? Let me put the chart back up there <clears throat> to show you where we are. Okay, so at this point, we're in uh, about 262, uh, about a, a third of the way down the page, almost half the way down the, the page. Ptolemy 1, here on the left-hand side in the south in Egypt, uh, he has died. His son, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, uh, takes over, all right? And um, we're going to move over here to the north. Seleucus I, Nicator, who was the first king of the north, uh, he dies. His son, Antiochus I, Soter, takes over uh, and, uh, and rules as well. And then there's uh, Antiochus II, Theos, who's the grandson of Seleucus. See that? Uh, he's the son of Antiochus I, the grandson of Seleucus I, Nicator. So at, at this point, uh, after Antiochus I, Soter's death right here, Antiochus II, Theos, takes over in the north. Now, a bitter rivalry develops between the new rulers of the north and the south. Antiochus II, Theos, see right here in verse 6, 262 to 246. <clears throat> he and um, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus in the south, uh, have at each other, and they do not have a uh, good relationship. However, Around 250 BC, they try for a peace treaty. They try to make up. And so to seal the deal, Ptolemy II Philadelphus here in the south gives his daughter to be married to Antiochus II Theos, the king of the north. All right, you see this is both happening in, in verse 6 here. All right, so Ptolemy II Philadelphus gives his daughter to be married to Antiochus II Theos of the north. Only one problem there, and that is that Antiochus II Theos of the north is already married, already has a wife. And so what happens is... Antiochus II Theos says, well, I'm going to get a new model for this peace treaty, uh, a new younger wife, and so I'm going to divorce my wife. So Antiochus II Theos divorces his wife, who is named Laodice. Laodice. That paves the way for the daughter. I'm going to... Mute here just a second. Okay, here we go. All right. So that paves Hi. the way for the uh, daughter. That paves the way for the daughter of Ptolemy II Philadelphus in Egypt to become the wife of Antiochus II Theos in the north. What is her name? Her name is Berenice. Not Bernice, but Berenice, B-E-R-E-N-I-C-E. -E. 
So she is offered by her father, the king of the south, to the king of the north as his wife in order to seal the deal of this peace treaty. So what happens to Laodice, the uh, now ex-wife of Antiochus II Theos of the North? Well, she didn't take this divorce well at all. So she hatches a plan to exact revenge upon her uh, successor, the new queen, Berenice, the new wife of her ex-husband. So what Laodice does is she has Berenice murdered. So there goes the peace treaty. Uh, Ptolemy II Philadelphus's daughter, Berenice, who was given to Mary Antiochus II Theos of the North, she is killed by Antiochus II's ex-wife, Laodice. And uh, so not only does she do away with his new wife, the ex-wife does uh, away with her ex-husband as well and, uh, and poisons him. So she poisons Antiochus II Theos. He dies in 246 BC. So not only does uh, the new wife of Antiochus II die but, and, uh, by being murdered by his ex-wife, but his ex-wife also kills him as well by poison. It's like a soap opera, isn't it? It's just, uh, this is fascinating uh, to me anyway, but then I find strange things fascinating. All right, so now, obviously, we're going to have a new, a new ruler in the north. His name, if you follow my cursor here, this is uh, chapter 11, verses 7 to 9. His name is Seleucus II Callinicus. We'll just call him Seleucus the second. He is named by his, he is named after his uh, great great grandfather. All right. So the new king taking over now after everybody's murdered is <laughs> Seleucus the second Callinicus. All right. So Bernice, uh, Berenice's brother now takes <laughs> over because the father of uh, murdered Bernice, uh, Berenice rather, <laughs> dies from natural causes. So Ptolemy the third or Ptolemy the second Philadelphus dies. So no more Ptolemy the second Philadelphus, no more Antiochus the second Theos. We have brand new kings in the south, brand new kings in the north. All right. So the new king in the south, coming in verses seven and eight, is Ptolemy the third. Euergetes. Ptolemy III Euergetes takes over in Egypt in the south, <clears throat> and uh, Seleucus II Callinicus takes over in the north. All right, so those, those are your score. It's like baseball. You know, you've got to have a scorecard to, uh, to keep track of these. Again, I will email you these so that you can have them as we proceed through the rest. All right, here we go. <laughs> with those names you like those names oh i love <laughs> <Yeah>. them <laughs> but anyhow go ahead mike i didn't mean to interrupt <laughs> all right so we're we we're going to proceed verse Pastor seven mike, yes go ahead Anne. i wanted to mention the idea when you said it's sort of like a soap opera 
the verse in Ecclesiastic comes to my mind. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> it's happening back then, just like it does now. <laughs> Very good. Yes. <clears throat> Very good. Yeah, in fact, um, interesting that the ex-wife would kill the trophy wife and, yep. you know, and the husband. I mean, I think we just uh, got had that in the news just a couple of weeks ago. So um, I Not think that's changed. Yeah. No. All right. So here we go. Approaching verse seven. Uh, again, remember Ptolemy the third. You were is the king of the south now. Seleucus the second Callinicus is king of the north. Here we go, verse seven. But when one of her relatives becomes king of the south, he will raise an army and enter the fortress of the king of the north and defeat him. <clears throat> when he returns to Egypt, he will carry back their idols with him along with priceless articles of gold and silver. For some years afterward, he will leave the king of the north alone. I like that's uh, amusing to me. So let's let's piece this together now. What what's happening in verse seven? When um, when Bernice, who was Berenice rather, I said Bernice. Now I got this stuck in my mind. When Berenice is killed by <clears throat> uh, her predecessor Laodice. Berenice's relatives, Ptolemy III, Eugertes in the south, becomes the king of the south, and he's going to raise an army <clears throat> to invade the fortress of Seleucus II Callinicus, king of the north, and defeat him. So to avenge the death of his sister, Ptolemy III of the south in Egypt launches a full-bore attack on Seleucus II in the north and he defeats the northern defenses. So Ptolemy III is right there with his army, and he is ticked about uh, the fact that uh, his relatives were, were murdered and uh, uh, such. And so before Ptolemy III leaves the king of the north, he seizes their idols, he seizes their priceless pieces of gold and silver, and then he heads back home with the spoils of victory. Interestingly enough, Ptolemy II leaves King Seleucus II in place. Ptolemy III, rather. Ptolemy III does not kill King Seleucus. And perhaps it wasn't initially because it wasn't Seleucus that actually killed his sister Berenice. It was Seleucus's mother, Laodice. Now, <laughs> Leo, what happens to Laodice? Well, I'm glad you asked. Ptolemy III from Egypt puts Laodice to death to complete the revenge for the death of his sister. All right, so it's a sad state. Uh, people are killing each other, avenging each other's death, and it's, it's just a mess. So as we end uh, in verse 8, Ptolemy III goes back to his throne in Egypt with the spoils of war, and he leaves a defeated King Seleucus II on a much tinier and less valuable throne in the north. As verse 8 says, for some years afterwards, 
he, Ptolemy III, will leave the king of the north alone. All right. Now let's move on to verse 9, because what we're going to see is that King Seleucus II, Callinicus, right here, he's not going to let all of this go. He's going to hatch his own plan for his own revenge. Here we go. As time goes on, he decides to exact <laughs> revenge upon Ptolemy III from Egypt, who invaded and defeated his forces, both for the defeat of his army and for the assassination of his mother, Laodice. Verse 9. Later, the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will soon return to his own land. However, the sons of the kings of the north will assemble a mighty army that will advance like a flood and carry the battle as far as the enemy's fortress. All right, let me explain this one. Here we go. The king of the north, remember, Seleucus II Callinicus, launches an unsuccessful initial attack on Ptolemy III in the south. He, uh, he attacks, but he makes no headway, and apparently he's no match for Ptolemy III's forces. So uh, Seleucus II has to retreat back to the north. In the process, Seleucus II falls off his horse and dies. So there you go. He never lived to exact his revenge <laughs> He fell, didn't fall off the wagon. He fell off his horse and dies in the process. So his son, if you come down here to where my arrow is on the chart, his son is Seleucus III, Soter, Seleucus III. So Seleucus III now takes over in the north. However... You notice that he rules only a couple of years, right? 227 to 223, what, only about uh, four years or so? Well, he only ruled four years because there was a conspiracy uh, inside of his own ranks, and conspiracy, the conspirators carry out a plot to assassinate him during a battle in Asia Minor. So now Seleucus III Soter is assassinated in the north. The north just can't catch a break. Just be, you know, he's, everybody's getting assassinated now. So there goes Seleucus III. He's, he's gone by his, own, uh, by his own people. So who takes over for Seleucus III? Who takes over for him is his brother. His brother is named, you see him right here where my cursor is, Antiochus III, also known as Antiochus the Great. He takes over the northern throne now, and he rules from 223 to 187 BC, about a 36-year reign or so. All right, now let's uh, look at verse 10 in some detail. However, the sons of the king of the north will assemble a mighty army that will advance like a flood and carry the battle as far as the enemy's fortress. So the two brothers, Seleucus III, who was assassinated by his own people, and his brother Antiochus III the Great had plans to 
regain their former power and extend their empire. So Seleucus III takes off to conquer Asia Minor, and that's where he's assassinated by his own people. But his brother Antiochus III, Antiochus the Great, he heads south towards Egypt, which has extended its borders. Now, Egypt during the time extended its borders north through Israel into Syria. All right, so now you may ask, there's got to be a new ruler in the south now, right, Mike? Well, yeah, you're right. By now, there's a new ruler in the south. He is Ptolemy IV Philopater. Ptolemy IV. So Antiochus III from the north heads south towards Egypt, and he meets the forces of Ptolemy IV in Gaza. And uh, I'm going to stop right there because that is a really good stopping point because we're going to see some interesting military maneuvers here involving elephants and all sorts of wonderful things. And I don't want to rush through that. So we'll stop there uh, for today uh, at, uh, at, at the end of uh, verse 10. Uh, the beginning in verse 11. So next week, uh, we will pick up with this battle that's going to take place. And I think you'll find it fascinating uh, how that battle is won and, and what they use to win it. Okay. Um, I'm going to drop the, the chart of Kings here. Okay. Any, uh, this sounds like a dumb question. Any questions with all of that? Did I lose anybody? <laughs> Everyone's no. no. <laughs> very good. Stunned That's silence. What? <laughs> it is it, it absolutely has, intriguing. As it, long as there's not a changed. test. <laughs> there's no test. John, John, oh, John, no. what did you say? That, that's why I think in those times, it would probably have been a safe uh, thing if you were kind of a nobody and uh, not a somebody, because if you were a somebody, uh, somebody else is looking to take somebody else out. <laughs> this is very, very true. <laughs> it, it probably paid to just be a, a regular person during that time. Yeah, the, the assassinations. <laughs> yeah, just be a handyman. Exactly right. Be a farmer. So the point, <laughs> by the way, and I'm not just I'm not giving you the history behind each of these verses just so you can play trivial pursuit or if it ever comes up on Jeopardy. That's not why I'm doing it. The reason I'm doing this is to point out that these prophecies in Daniel that Daniel is, be, is being given, they are yet to come. They have not happened in Daniel's time. And all of them come true. And there's a story that, uh, uh, that Dr. Uh, David Hawking tells. Uh, he, he was uh, touring uh, some of these areas. And they had a tour guide who was not uh, a believer, but, but a local. 
and I don't know whether he was Muslim or Jewish or whatever he was, but anyway, not apparently, well, no, he wasn't Jewish at all. Uh, not a believer. Uh, so anyway, uh, the, this uh, tour guide is giving all of this history that, that we're talking about right now. And David Hawking, Dr. Hawking tells him, you know, you, you have given that history exactly right. And so the tour guide says, oh, are you a historian or are you an archaeologist? And Dr. Hawking says, no, the reason I know you're exactly correct is because this is what Daniel was given in his dream by the messenger from God. The tour guide looks at him and says, well, that book of Daniel must have been written after all of this happened. And Hawking says, no, 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 no. No, we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that these words were written down before these events happened. Well, that really ticked off the tour guide. And he said, well, it's your tour. You can believe what you want. So anyway, the tour guide, not, not too happy that uh, all of this was revealed in Daniel. But the point is, that's why I want to bring the detail to you is as a reminder, in case it ever comes up, all of these things in Daniel came true, came to pass. And non-biblical history, world history, ancient history affirms what we're reading in Daniel. Mm. It just puts the names in place, uh, but we're able to match up you know, the kings of the north, the kings of the south, the battles that were fought, it all exactly matches up to what we're reading in Daniel. And that's, uh, that, that's, that's the point of, of, of doing this. So, all right. Any other thoughts, any other questions? Nope. Okay. I'm going to, uh, turn off the recording. Uh, next week we'll pick up, uh, uh, just a little bit of verse 10 and, and then verse 11 in uh, Daniel chapter 11.